Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whispers. Hi, I'm Craig D'Onofrio. <laughs> You're listening to The God You're Whispers. You're chewing. You're eating on the air. Okay, I'm, we're, we're in Vegas. I'm Bill Swirla. And, and Swirla, he's sitting here eating his dinner and everything. I'm sitting here thinking, maybe I should have some dinner or something. Yeah, you did carry out Chinese, dude. Can you send some of that over? But you, you got the... Uh, All right, here we go. You, you got the really good cap. We got the Elvis going now. Set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready. Godwhispers.com or .org. Whichever your fingers find first. Family Doctor 13 on the Skype. Just call it. We are the impious professors of piety. The manly doctors of divinity. Disturbing yet compelling. The irreverent reverends of relevance. Disturbing yet compelling, and we have with us today. We are, we are, we are. Where are we? Where, where are we, Craig? University of. We are in university. And a homeschooler alert just went out, just in case, because we are in Nevada. We are in Las Vegas, and no one knows what could happen. Let the kids get the kids around the radio. Alert. They'll learn something they shouldn't learn for a few years. Contains a homeschooler alert. All right, we're we are we are at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, in the bass in the baking sun, the desert. Did you see the size of the cockroaches that crawl around the sidewalks? I thought those were taxi cabs. <laughs> no, that you know they did a lot of nuclear testing. Look, in Nevada, I'm Blue Man Group. Beautiful, you got, got a little Blue Man Group going there. We have we have a third and a fourth <clears throat> microphone going. We have the Reverend. Ian Stewart Pacey, Formula Formula One race car driver, Haggis eating champion, 2009-2010. That's right. Campus Ministry, University of Arizona at Tucson. Token Scotsman. And with us at microphone number four, the venerable, reverend, right reverend, most holy right reverend, Samuel Schulteis, Redeemer Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. Welcome, Sam. Do you go by Sam you. or Samuel or Samuel, Sam, Samwise, Samwise, Samwise. Yeah. Above. Samwise eggs and ham, green <clears throat> eggs. This Sam is great. This is great. So we're all here. We're talking uh, stuff. Oh, and <laughs> we, we just got the feral beast alert. It was a little low. Sam, you're uh, you're you're teaching. You brought a, first of all, you brought a youth group to higher things. Yes, right. We did from Surf City. Surf City. It's did legit. You bring your, did you bring your surfboards? No, I did not. There's wetsuits. No, no. No. Too hot here. Too hot. Oh man, it's too hot for wetsuits. Hotter here. than uh, the mountains of Mordor. Yeah, the mountains of Mordor. <laughs> There's sand here, but no surf. There, no, exactly. Yeah. Okay, you could do dune surfing though, I suppose, huh? You could. Yeah. Sure. How many kids did you bring? Uh, nine. Nine. <clears throat> How many adults did you bring? Three or four. How many adults acting like kids did you bring? All of the above. All of the above. All right. That's that's good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, is this your first time with your youth group to higher things conference? No, we went to uh, Sola in Irvine. Sola, Irvine. And then uh, we skipped a year, and then we went the next year, last year, to Utah at Given. Given, Utah. Had a blast. Excellent. Yeah. And you're teaching. You did a little bit of a breakout teaching? Right. Yeah, we did. Um, Are these members of your group standing around here? Or, uh, uh, there's some friends from Beverly Hills. and then Beverly Friends Hills. from Beverly Hills. Yeah. Awesome. Very nice. Very then, nice. Uh, the, they the, know how to shop. Fathers. I'm telling you. You know, anybody right. from Beverly Hills, they know the good places to shop. <laughs> you say hi to Rodeo Drive for my wife, would you? Yeah. Yeah. And your checkbook. And my che Say goodbye to my checkbook on that. No, I don't even bother. I drove through Beverly Hills a couple of weeks ago. You know, their gas was up to like like 475 or so. And there's there some guy that polished my car. I kind of liked it, though. So. The gas or the car? Huh? You know, it's kind of a joke, too, because I drive this beat-up 99 Corolla. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, I'm he's really proud of that thing. I, I love my car. It's just sun-beaten stuff. What are you teaching to higher things, Handles are all broken off when you try to get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the handles are broken off. We're uh, teaching, we're looking at uh, 
Oh, Christ in the Christ in Narnia. Christ in Narnia. It's, uh, in in the wardrobe is kind of the the first tagline, and the rest of it's uh, yeah, Christ-centered journey, a Christological look. <clears throat> is Jesus in Narnia? That kind of thing. Yeah. Oh. I have a spoiler alert. Aslan. <laughs> nice. Pretty much. That's all you got to say. I mean, yeah. Nice. Is he safe? No. No. That's but right. he's good. But he's good. And, yeah. There you go. And merciful. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love that story. That's the best one, I think, the first one. I, it kind of loses me after that. It's the first one he wrote. I mean, he didn't really, Lewis didn't really know that he was going to write the rest of them until after Witch in the Wardrobe was done. And yeah. the publishers wanted more, and he kept writing more. Do you think people make too much uh, out of uh, trying to determine Lewis's theology by his writings? I think you can go both ways. Yeah, you can go, they either underappreciate it and, or they overanalyze it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people make arguments that he's a uh, universalist or, yeah, or this, that, the other thing. But Part of the trick is that, you know, Narnia isn't a one-to-one correspondent. It's not an allegory. It's not a parable uh, like some of the, you know, parables that Jesus would teach. So there's, there's symbolism, rich symbolism, but it's not, a, it's not always, a, you know, A equals A1. It's not like a, like a chiasm kind of thing all the time. So, so it's more. It would be more Christian themes rather than a Christian allegory. Yeah, themes and, um, I mean, it, the entire structure's got, if you want to call it the Christian worldview behind it or underpins it, I call it symphonic symbolism. Oh, symphonic, symphonic symbolism. Yeah, symphonic symbolism. Explain, please. <laughs> sure. Um, In between bites yeah. of kung pao chicken, lo <laughs> <laughs> <No> mein good. <laughs> That, that would explain the uh, the gong then and everything. Nothing mm. explains the gong. That was my walk. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> so what kind of symbolism now? Uh, sym- symphonic symbolism. Symphonic. Kind of one of the ways I've tried to think about it. Okay. Um, Sounds melodious. The mathematicians get a little scared when I start to say that parallel lines can intersect. Mm. Um, uh, give them enough time, they will. Exactly. But... <laughs> I come from a, a guitar playing background, so when you oh, think well, of see now that explains that's it right, right there. When you bend you the strings, you come from a parallel universe. Yeah, when you bend the strings, you can make different sounds. And uh, I think of Christianity and Narnia kind of the same way, where you have two different strings. Sometimes they run parallel, other times they can intersect and cross over, and you may not really even know where one ends or the other begins. Oh. But they're always in harmony, never in dissonance. Craig, and sometimes you, they run their own good. melodies. Craig used to bend the strings in a Christian rock band. Mm-hmm. We all have our dark side, don't we? <laughs> now I have a ukulele. Yeah, yeah. Well, he bends. Those are too short to bend. You can bend them. You just, just doesn't them. sound that great. Uh, you could pull off a pretty good is. So, you know. oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so give give us a you know kind of little tour, broad brushstroke of uh, Lewis, Narnia, Christ. Sure. You know, some of the things we did in the presentation, anyway, were. Um, we, we started off just talking about good stories. I mean, that's the real reason you start with Narnia, reading it. Uh, Lewis had kind of a two, a both-and kind of thing. You know, we Lutherans like our paradoxes. I think Lewis did, too. And he was, he's my favorite Anglican, but I think he, he enjoyed a good scriptural paradox as much as everybody else. And uh, on the one hand, he said that it, if there was any way to look at Narnia, it was not that he tried to do it intentionally writing a Christian story and then set out to make a, a moral kind of example out of it, but that it just it kind of bubbled up from the surface uh, of his baptismal life. Uh, and then on the other hand, though, he says things like uh, that uh, he wrote them to steal past watchful dragons of unbelief, essentially. Right. Ah, that, that subversive that's thing again. That's that right. apologetic task, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, sometimes I've even called it right-brained apologetics. You know, it's not the hard-nosed you know, intellectual argument, but it's, it's using the... Uh, Using creation and you know first article gifts to display the awesomeness of the of the creator and mm-hmm. the writer in that case. So are you saying our God is an awesome God? No, <laughs> I don't sing those. Who reigns from heaven anymore. and earth? Is that right? Yeah, you got to lift your hands up when you say that. Though. Yeah. How come I don't have control over inquire no more, you feral beast? <laughs> that's, I don't get that one. I, that's a sound effect that's on your computer, not mine. And yeah. I, I just feel deprived about that. Yeah. So uh, does does he capture what you know, we Lutherans, you know, the the central the central teaching that holds it all together is justification. 
That is, you know, that the ungodly stand justified before God because God says so for right. Christ's sake. Yeah. Uh, does, does Lewis, does Lewis, are these themes apparent in yeah, uh, Narnia? Uh, you could say Narnia stands or falls on uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, the central theme of that whole book is Narnia, you know, is uh, Aslan's passion. He suffers, he well, hands himself over willingly for uh, the treachery of Edmund, and then he goes and dies an innocent death uh, that he did not deserve, not only for Edmund, but really for Narnia, because after his resurrection the next day, all of Narnia is then freed, you know, and he goes and he roars and he romps and he goes and defeats the witch in battle and breathes life into the stones that she had cast, and that's, that's the central part of, I think... I mean, if you miss that out of Narnia, you really miss the rest of the story because the last book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, none of it makes sense unless Aslan has done that first. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's Luther's sweet swap. It's St. Paul's, Bingo. you know, Christ was made sin for us who knew no sin yeah. so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah. In the afternoon session today, I called it a reverse Tom Sawyer. Uh, you know, Thomas Sawyer made everybody do the work, and he got to watch. Well, Christ does the work for us, and we get to receive and watch and behold. Craig, I'm just noticing here that the time is just sort of stuck at 28 minutes and 20. No, somebody seconds. never hit the go on that apparently. And uh, so, you know, I can watch. What's it from the recorder here. saying? Well, I'm looking at about 11 minutes and 28 seconds here. I think the so world's going to end like a lost episode or something. Then, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> you never know when the world's going to end. God's people know the time. So I guess we've got about uh, 17 minutes left. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. Yeah, okay. yeah. So we'll just do that. How about, how about sacramental theology? Uh, do you see any sacramental theology in... in uh... hmm. That's a great question. It's unavoidable, just like it is in divine service. Um, I don't know. One of the examples I used in the presentation was uh, the undragoning of Eustace. It's a, it's a baptism. He becomes a dragon by wandering into a... Uh, dragon's den looking for treasure being a greedy little cuss that he was and not knowing about dragons because he didn't read the right books Uh, he wanders in, becomes a dragon and over the course of the story um, which is really best just read to capture the kind of the gruesomeness of it but our old Adam is a dragon and so he goes into this pool to try and clean himself and wash himself but he can't, he keeps peeling layers of skin off and he's getting nowhere finally Aslan has to come and as Eustace later describes it, uh, cuts him to the heart. Yeah, this is the voyage. Yeah, yeah, voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's a, that's, I mean, that's kind of the baptismal center of it. The whole thing is the baptismal life. Um, Lewis called it the spiritual life, but that's not specific enough for me. Has anybody ever? I don't, I don't know much about this, but a lot of this stuff sounds like, you know, the sort of the fantasy gamer stuff that goes on too. <laughs> you know, and I, I hear all the negative stuff. <clears throat> And the big question is, you know, I mean, should Christians be playing with that? So, I mean, has anybody done sort of analysis on the whole sort of gaming narrative, and uh, and and are there are there similar kinds of themes and typologies running in there? You know, Christ in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't know about Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, our good friend uh, Pastor Jonathan Fisk has done a few articles on uh, gaming and Christians and kind of the, the overlap between Christianity and the, the fantasy, you know, fairy story genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been, a, there's been a lot of writing about more sp- well, on the, the side of the fairy story writing. Um, it, it's kind of the underpinning to a good fairy story is to have a, for lack of a better word, Christian worldview. Um, it's kind of what Tolkien talked about in an essay on fairy stories. Good and evil. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Objective, absolutes, right and wrong, true and false, good and evil. You know, winners win, losers lose. Uh, bad guys get defeated. Yeah, the, the chivalry is outstandingly chivalrous. You know, uh, it, the evil are outstandingly wicked. Isn't it interesting when Star Wars came out, a lot of the Christians were poo-pooing it right. because Eastern philosophy and all this other stuff... But at least there are absolutes there. There's a good and a bad and a right and a wrong and all of this sort of thing. It's kind of like when The Simpsons first came out and all the Christians were saying, don't watch The Simpsons, it's horrible. And then 15 years later, they're still on. And, hey, look, a family who stayed together. This is good family entertainment (laughs) now. And you get great books like The Gospel According to The Simpsons or something like that. I've got a friend who collects all the religion episodes of The Simpsons. And those are sheer genius. (laughs) They are. They're they're just dead on. There was a good one on uh, King of the Hill. They replayed it this last week, Reborn to be Wild. You guys seen that one? (laughs) Reborn to be Wild. It's excellent. It's one of the best illustrations of why you should use 
use the liturgy out there in cartoon land. Oh, explain. Yeah, well, um, Bobby Hill is kind of, he's getting depressed with his youth group because it's not relevant enough, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Hank is trying to make him go to church like a good father should and is commanded to in the catechism. And he gets kind of kind of fed up, so he goes to the church and the nice, kind secretary says, well, there's a, there's a youth group. And so they take him to the youth group. It's a skate park. Long story short, there's a, you know, a tatted-out guy with the dreads and the soul patch and everything. And he ends up playing in, um, what did they call it, Messiah Fest. It's kind of like a creation fest or a, you know, a Christian rock uh, Lollapalooza wannabe thing. Nice. Yeah, and uh, Bobby ends up sneaking out, disobeying his father's you know, command or in, instruction to stay home and not go. And... Um, he gets in big trouble for that, and uh, one, there's two great lines, well, actually three. One of them is uh, Hank Hill comes to the concert, says to the uh, this kind of hippie, you know, hipster pastor, says, uh, you're not making Christianity better, you're making rock and roll worse. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. It's fantastic. And then uh, the, the other good line is very similar. It's... Uh, you know, it used to be in the old days that we would go to the rock concerts on Saturday night, and then Sunday morning we'd go ask for forgiveness, and now it seems like the two are terribly blurred together. Yeah. <laughs> you go for forgiveness at the rock right. concert. And then the, the most profound part, though, is that at the end, then he takes Bobby home, and he's, you know, he's upset with him, but he's not, it's not like he's you know, spanking him in trouble. He, just, he wants to sit down and have a talk with him. So he takes him out to the garage, shows him a box of stuff, takes it off the shelf, and then... Uh, he, show, he shows him like his chia pet, and you know a little, a little uh, those giga pets things with the electronic, you know, animals and yeah. all these toys from his youth. And he says, "Bobby, the point is, I don't want you putting your faith in this box." And that's why he didn't want his kid going to this rock concert, Jesus schlock. <laughs> nice. And I thought, wow, there's there's the reason for the liturgy right there. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Well, and then this all fits into this bigger category of of finding. Finding themes in in sort of either world of entertainment, sure. right, sure, sure, uh, world of nature, things like that. Brian um, Gadawa is really good on this. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He wrote a movie called To End All Wars, right, with uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, and uh, he he has this whole thing that he does on uh, resurrection and Christ figures in the movies and all of this. And he really points out that especially in war movies. There are a lot of, of Christ figures running around because sure. greater love has no man Absolutely. than he lays down his life for his friends. And it's kind of out of that that I kind of built a, a theory that this is what really appeals to men in war movies is that whole laying down your life for your brother or having a brother that would lay down his life for you and right. that sort of thing. I think that that appeals almost as much as the explosions and the guns. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. The, the explosions, the guns make it watchable. Right. Yeah. Definitely. For right. That's why yeah. I watched Saving Private Ryan on on Fourth uh, of July. Just had to. the explosions and the guns, or the or the death. Uh, yes. Dying for your yeah both both yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah right. Yeah, that's what's interesting about the Star Wars thing is there's a, there's a there's an attempt to. Um, uh, pretend that there is no good and evil. There's kind of an Eastern influence, as you point out. But because the story, to make it a cohesive story, a story that people want to watch, there has to, in the end, be good and evil and the conquering of evil. Because we know that. Because it I mean, has to be that that's way. That's hardwired into Absolutely. us. We, we know yep. that. And that's yeah, why people can watch the dark side. And all yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they can read the books like the, you know the Lord of the Rings and not have a clue about it or what Tolkien or Lewis wrote with any of those things and come out with that. They have that story because there's Absolutely. objectivity written into it. Now, you know, now, Sam, you're into all things nerdy and uh, <laughs> hobbity and all the rest. Yeah. He's rather proud. I, 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 yeah, I, he, he, he wears that as a badge I, of honor. I embrace, I'm even wearing my Millennium Falcon T-shirt. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, see, yeah. there, that's yeah. it. Are you friends with Fisk? Yeah, we are, actually. Yeah. We grew up in Portland. I, I'm, I'm glad they're not at the same conference. That's <laughs> but, all I can... You know, the <laughs> level of ninja-ness would be just too much for me. I, I'm told that in The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien went out of his way to not have any one particular Christ figure. Yeah, he, he was deliberately uh, non-allegorical in that way. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Well, didn't he chide Lewis for being too obvious? I, I remember there was some... There was yeah. some uh, uh, record of of uh, Tolkien said that that his his allegories were not subtle enough that they were that they, they're just too transparent and right. too obvious. Whereas uh, uh, Tolkien's a little bit buried. Uh, you, I mean, you have to know a few things. Yeah, Tolkien writes more of what, what's called deep myth. 
And, and Lewis. Well, and he's using Norse mythology and, and stuff. a whole bunch of other stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's there's a lot of layers piled on top. Yep. Of that. Yeah, yeah. And uncovering them are, it, it's that's what's so enjoyable about reading it. You mm -hmm. know. Yeah. No. There's not so much one figure as there are. Um, Plethora. Do you suppose that he was Christless because he was Roman Catholic? Oh, or? man. Oh, wow. That was a shot. Wow, that man, shot, that was yeah. just a shot. Let's right just there. sit back yeah. and admire the cheapness of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a theological need of the groin uh, the right crying there. foul right now. You know, Craig, though, there, there, yeah. there isn't a specific Christ figure, but the point there is is that there were multiple Christ figures side by side. Well, I know, but that means everyone's Christ. Right? Well, oh, no, it's not necessarily. What kind of literalistic <laughs> nonsense yeah. is that? I mean, you got you, you have objective good and objective evil in uh, in Lord of the Rings. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm just being a jerk now. Yeah, we <laughs> noticed that. Just just <laughs> shooting for the jerk. That's yeah. all. You know, which in, by in, the way was a fine movie, also. In, Excellent movie. In, yeah, yeah. In movies, he in movies, can. as I understand it, like <laughs> William Peter Blatty is good for that. I mean, he he being picks, a jerk. No, he picks oh. up on Christian themes, redemptive themes, all the time. As is as is the novelist Stephen King. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. That guy is not far from the kingdom. I'm he convinced. He just he just blows you away on yeah. some of that stuff. I mean, evil is truly evil. Yeah, like Green Mile is a great example. Of Green that. Mile is a magnificent, yes. Love magnificent. Cry I think it's a great Christ allegory. It is. I mean, that's it, pretty obvious. Yeah. But it, but it really it it works. Was that one? Oh, Needful Things, hmm. where the devil visits a New England town. Oh no, great. I didn't see that. I one. don't remember there being a strong Christ figure, but he gets all the religion religious factions fighting against each other. He, he just puts the temptations out. It's a great movie. Yeah. And I, I remember. Uh, I think there was this this Roman Catholic priest who was coveting this chalice and everything, and and the sheriff in town is wise to the whole thing, and he says, "Don't you see the devil's here in town?" He goes, "It's not the devil; it's the GD Baptists. They're the problem." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, if it's but, not um, Clint Eastwood blaming the Lutherans, it's somebody else blaming the Baptists. <laughs> that was a great line in Grand Torino, yeah. yeah. right? But, but accurate, though, because, I mean, in that neck yep. of the woods, they were doing a lot of uh, uh, refugee work. Right. Yeah, Minnesota full of Mungs that were brought over by Lutherans, yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, Kansas, too. Yeah. And Fort Wayne. That's okay. Right. So and Fort Wayne. Got to give an honorable mention. How do we tie all this together with Bart Ehrman, which is what we were allegedly going to talk about? We're going to talk about Bart Ehrman. Yeah, so, so how... Anyone have a genius idea about how to um, well, meld a, Bart Ehrman? <laughs> the bridge. And, well, myth. I don't what know. Do you want, Borkhart? Well, George Borkhart here. Yeah, George, we're welcome a, back. We're on a what is this, show. 24 hours of God Whispers at the Higher Things well, Conference? No, we're just doing a, a marathon. Gotta make a couple our, of hours. Of a, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he came I, to I Las Vegas. I drove four hours out here. Four night, well, he, he did some gambling, you know, did some Blue Man Group. You need any water or anything, gentlemen? Can we get you any food? Is there anything we can do for you? We already got some food, and he ordered out. I'd like him. Chinese carry out here. Gin, gin and tonic you, would be uh, nice, swing, actually. swing by and get me a Mai Tai? Uh, would that be okay? Yeah, gin and tonic. Blue sapphire and tonic, please. Yeah, yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. <laughs> Youth <laughs> conference. I, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. No, we're off. We're yeah, right but, to dry but you're campus. rocking that miniskirt, George. That's that's awfully nice. That little cocktail waitress get up that you got. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, George. Do you, do you want the picture of Swirla as uh, as Lady Gaga? Yes, please. Yes. All right. We in saw that. On, we took that on the strip. in the meat suit. We put it on Facebook. <laughs> Should in be a bacon suit, suit shouldn't it? You know, I, I said that. Well, but uh, you know, if that if that dress had been bacon, it, it would have worked. Definitely. Nice. Thanks, George. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I would nibble on you. It was a bacon dress. That, that's, I wouldn't have <laughs> that, See, that just went. That went in a that real was, bad. That, that was, went in a bad direction. That's over the line. <laughs> this is this is theological talk radio. That's right. Like sports talk radio. That's right. I think it's the shirt you're wearing. It sort of invites this kind of conversation. This, this there. shirt invites a lot of things. <laughs> They're going to think we're all smoking long bottom leaf out here. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Finest in the far the poor farthings. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Right. Here we go. All right, I'll take a stab at the question. Do we have any time? We got, uh, allegedly, since our timer's all out of whack, about four and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, my, my math says we're pretty good on that. I, I think with Sam here, what it is is we've been doing a form of Christian apologetics. What did you call it? I called it right brain yeah, apologetics. Yeah, right brain apologetics. Yeah. I mean, this is what it is. And earlier on, uh, Sam makes the point that uh, what right brain apologetics is, is it, it gets by the dragons. 
right? Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah, right. Exactly. You get a story, you get into the story. What do you know? All of a sudden, you're you're in the Christian world. There's right and wrong. There's good and evil. There's yeah. remove the stumbling blocks. Absolutely. Wow. So, so when it comes to airmen, I mean, I'll take a stab you're, at it. You're pretty bright for a Scotsman. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Uh, and not just that, but cheap. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we're getting at here when we get to Aramid is, is now we found one of the dragons. Ah, nice. Uh, and nice. he is the one who deceives and takes us away from the kingdom. Nice. Nice. Well, where do we go with that? I don't even know. Swirler's looking at me like, okay, fine. You painted yourself in a corner. Where are you going now, smart guy? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm watching the tactics here and enjoying it. I'm, you know, sitting around. Yeah. Airman. Yeah. Airman started out as a fun to Jellicle type, yes. didn't he? Yep. He, um, I know his, uh, the story of his youth, but he ended up going to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I didn't yep. know that. Yeah. Yep. Took a degree there. Uh, got into Wheaton, I believe. Did a degree at Wheaton. Wow. Um, I'm not sure if he was into the classics and that sort of thing. I think he was an English major at Wheaton, if I, if I got that right. And then he went to Princeton and studied under Metzger and was Metzger's right-hand man for... And Metzger's the man. Metzger wow, was the yeah. man. Text criticism, and he was the uh, the up and coming, and that was the problem. I think that was the beginning of the end when yeah. he, when, when he discovered the critical apparatus, then faith in his uh, golden plates, King James, just went out the window. Absolutely, that's right. That's his own claim: is that when he discovered the variants, his faith started to go south. You know, and that's funny because as a Lutheran, I see the variants, and that just reinforces this idea <laughs> right. that we're talking about that God works in with and under hiddenly. Our holy book is about as unholy looking as it gets. That's you know, a good thing. Sixty-six yeah. books, strength to it, right? Twenty-seven authors, fifteen hundred years of authorship. There's text variants. There's there's you know grammatical issues, words nobody understands. No miracles. Miracles in the sense of there's no miraculous origin of the text. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have some guy in a trance. You don't have golden plates. No angel Moroni. You know. Right. You know, Augustine had a real hard Word time with scripture in. early on because of all the sex and violence. He said this cannot be a, a, a book. Well, then you from get to the, then you get to the content. Right. You know, and see, for me, that just flips everything on its head. Because if the scripture's written by men with an agenda to win people over, Not they did well. a lousy job. Right. They blew it. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you can't pass yeah. that off. That's right. They're flipping even, burgers even, now. Yeah, even look at the <laughs> Gospels, you know. Yeah, that was all made up. You think they maybe could have cribbed some notes here, you know, right. and do a better job of making them agree? That's right. So what, what are some of Ehrman's big arguments against Christianity for those who are playing the home game right now? I don't know now? if he has an argument against Christianity. I'm just going to well, against, that out there. How about yeah. against the veracity the of the Bible? Bible. Yeah. yeah, I think that's how he undermines Christianity. He says unless you have he the scriptures. He goes agnostic on you. Yeah, yeah. If you, unless you have the scriptures, you don't have access to, you don't have a way of framing out Christianity. Right. So you, you, you deny the source, and now Christianity is just opinion. It's one man's pr- opinion over another man's opinion. So according to Ehrman, um, what he likes to do, he teaches at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And he uh, receives a lot of those kids from the South in his religion classes because he's the chairman of the Department of Religion there. And what he does day one uh, for the purposes of shipwrecking their faith is he sits them down and he says, hey, how many of you guys here read your Bibles? And then South, right, 95% of them Yeah, they're all, they're all sticking it. They're right. lying, but, but they, all, right. they, they all like to think they are. Right, yeah. whereas the question's asked in Tucson, Arizona, at UCLA, and it's the exact opposite. Yeah, right. 5% are raising <laughs> no, their hands. No, but. 95% are in complete shock because they know those people. <laughs> yeah, I never saw a group. Can he ask that question in class, or do I need to call That's the right. ACLU? That's right. Hey, My rights have been violated. We're going to have to come back with this question. We're pretty much out of time. But right. since we're talking about my ugly musical past, you get to hear it. Oh, not again.
Vegas. That great sensation where nothing is quite what it seems. Vegas, a combination of thrills and excitement and dreams. Where every ordinary civilian can turn a half a buck and a half a million. You find your cares are lighter whenever they turn on those lights. Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. And uh, we are live in Vegas. Live in Vegas. Recording live in Vegas with Sam Schultheis and Ian Pacey. Ian Stewart Pacey. Ian Stewart Pacey. <laughs> the haggis eater. <laughs> right. Who is it? Jackie Stewart? Jackie Stewart. Yeah. yeah. yeah Great motor racing. <laughs> ABC. ABC. Hey, let's, uh, I want to change gears for a second here, if you don't mind. Does that mean you want the music down, or no pun intended about changing gears? I, I thought that was kind of clever, actually. Very nice race car. Race car. Yeah. I get it. Don't That's we, a pun. We keep Frank going for a little while. We're broadcasting live, or we're recording live uh, from the Student Union, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, Higher Things Coromdale. And uh, the place is pretty much cleared out. We are yeah, um, it's a ghost town in here now. Well, we we uh, they all went to evening prayer, and I we're sitting here like a bunch of heathen uh, recording God whispers. So so it wasn't my flatulence after all. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Um, I got a I got an email from our director of Southern Hemispherical Operations. DSHO. Yes, that would be Henning von Rensburg. Uh, he uh, he writes. Uh, can I read this email here? I don't see why not. From our, our DSHO. Greetings, MDs. Wait, 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 wait. He's he's from uh, Africa, right? South Africa. Yeah, so we gotta We're gonna get some mood some music for him? I'm thinking. No, that's not what I thought it was. <laughs> oh well. Got some Lion King? I don't know. Adventure Land over I put in in the jungle, but that's not what that's not in the jungle. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it goes on for seven minutes and forty-five All right, seconds. That's so. good enough. Like, yeah, let's use that. Uh, greetings, MDs. I trust things are well with you. He he doesn't know we're in Las Vegas here. Things things couldn't be better. Um, just some insight as to what the German and Afrikaans-speaking Lutherans do here in dark Africa. This is Adventureland. <laughs> Oops. We are <laughs> That was good timing, actually. Nice. <laughs> you know, you can't rehearse it better than No, this. that was actually... All right. Now we got Henning's music but, but, going here. <laughs> All skate. Oh, yeah, there we go. All skate. During confession and absolution, the entire congregation kneels. Obviously, the sick and elderly are not required to do so. We remain in a kneeling position after confession and absolution, at which time one of the creeds as well as the Lord's Prayer is then spoken by the whole congregation. Just thought you might find it interesting, and I don't necessarily think it is a pietist thing, because after having been there for seven months, I can assure you that these dudes aren't pietists. Way too much beer, pipes, and cigars doing the rounds for that, plus some real hot women. <laughs> yes, I'm repenting already. We're in Las Vegas. Did I mention that? That's yes. a, did I tell you about the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the gals with the star-spangled... The following segment contains a home schooler alert. Attention. I was a little late on the, the draw on this segment one. segment contains a home schooler alert. All right, you may resume. Star-spangled bikinis. <laughs> and the guy who was neither male nor female who was dressed up in a double suit and people are taking pictures with him. Anyway, uh, I, I, I continue with heading. Uh, real hot women, yes, repenting already. Nor are they, the Germans or us, Afrikaans, congregation, Schwermerei, as the various ornaments, crucifixes, and liturgical garb will attest. Anyway, great show, July 4th edition. Looking forward to many more. Hopefully I can bribe Pastor C with a case of Amarula to venture into the Heidelberg disputation. I know, I know, not interesting enough. Have a good one, guys. Cheers. Henning. Swirla has a fear Henning. of Heidelberg. It's a Heidelbergian I a, the place fear. The I have a fear for all things from Heidelberg, mm -hmm. actually. Actually, my, you know, my godfather was from Heidelberg. 
<laughs> really? Yes. Uncle Herman. I don't know what to the say The biochemist about that. worked for Beringer Mannheim, the uh, <laughs> Was he a good guy? pharmaceutical. Uh, yeah. For a guy from Heidelberg. <laughs> so here we are in Vegas talking about hobbits <laughs> and Bart Ehrman. And dragons. And, and uh, uh, I'm slot machines. Over here. Yeah, he's got the slots going. We're just a couple of kids with microphones. Take it easy. That payout's taking a while. <laughs> you wish. All right. The um, bar, back to Bart Ehrman. So, so he discovers the critical apparatus and has has just a, a crisis of faith because his faith, hope, and trust is in basically an inerrant, infallible received text. And he finds that it's not holy enough to be a holy book. Or who was it? Who's that guy? Who's the Talpiot tomb guy? Oh. Here goes the trash can. But anyway, he talks about the, the scriptures don't, uh, are, they, they shouldn't be treated as privileged texts. Right. Cameron. James Cameron. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But uh, they should. Titanic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guy. No, no, this is a different guy. Listen, I'll, I'll look it up, but but uh, talk to us a little bit more about airmen. This is, I mean, you know, what does this do? Do college kids take this seriously? Is this something that uh, that uh, undermines? So he asked them, you know, do you read the Bible? And then he kind of like goes at. Yeah, so that's where he starts the... out. He, he he asks the question, uh, how many of you guys read the scriptures? We're taught to read the scriptures, that sort of thing. They raise their hands. And then he asked them, "Well, how you know how many how many words in the in the New Testament? Let's leave the Old Testament aside, the Masoretic aside. Let's, let's just talk about the New Testament. How many words in the New Testament?" And um, so he gives them the words in the English. And he asks them, "How many in the Greek New Testament? Right, smaller number." And it's something like uh, what is it, two hundred and twenty thousand, something like that. And then he says, well, "Now, how many of you know?" the number of errors in these New Testaments that you have, that you've been reading the whole of your lives, that you believe to be inspired and errant, so on and so forth. And then he drops the number on them. 250,000 errors in the scriptures. Right? <laughs> Pregnant pause. Boom, boom, boom. Right? Everybody's faith is, everybody's faith is plummeting. It all can't the, be true. That's right. See, it ain't so, Bart. And then I think the question then comes is, how many of your pa- how many pastors, the, your pastors, told you of the, you know, about these facts, about the 250,000 errors in the New Testament, right? So everybody's left there in this kind of a stew. You know, they came in, they were good Southern fundamentalist Bible Belt Christians. Yep. And within a minute, he's completely taken their faith away from them because he's, in his mind, he's taken the scriptures away from them. Yeah. And the key to his, his kind of maneuver there is, is he doesn't define uh, what constitutes an error in his mind, which for us are going to be the variants, it's the apparatus. And uh, then proceeds for the rest of the quarter to show how silly it is to be a Christian. Because if you don't have the text, and the kind of, uh, kind of um, methodology that, Bear, uh, that Airman holds to is really, there's really two pillars to it. One is... Um, by way of foundation, he rules out all miracles. There is, no, there is no miraculous. You can't talk about the miraculous. If you attempt to bring the miraculous in in any way, uh, it simply won't wash any kind of historical method that he works with. The miraculous, by way of um, presupposition, is ruled out. Well, that's the old Hume hypothesis yeah. just revisited again. We, we know there aren't miracles because we haven't seen any. Yeah, yeah Uniform experience against them is exactly. what he says. Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. right. And then the second thing is, is if you don't have the actual originals, you can never really have um, any, any certainty that you have the original words from those who wrote them. So let's mm. just pack up the classics department right now. Yeah, well, here's the thing. This is very, that's, that's right. When asked that question, he said, yeah, that's right. We don't hold to um, Homer being the author of the Odyssey. We were talking about earlier. We don't hold to Virgil being the author of the Aeneid. Uh, we, we think of these guys as schools. Right? People uh, wrote a story, and then there was a little bit added on, a little bit added on. And over time, we've received this document, and we just use the name. But really, it's a kind of school that's given us this kind of thing. And as I recall reading this, then when the question was put up to him, uh, given to him, uh, so what do we make of, what do we make of the Koran, right? <laughs> the head of the Department of Religion at UNC? 
and he wouldn't answer the question. Oh. Because he knew you will die. Yeah. He, he, he said, <laughs> you know what? Comedy Central. He said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a classicist, I'm a historian, whatever it is. I work in Greek, I can work in Latin. This is my field of expertise, but I don't read Arabic, I don't write Arabic. It's outside of my field. Nice. I do not feel comfortable oh. answering the question. Beautiful. Right? So the guy comes back. Well, you don't have to know Arabic, it's no. just the principle. It, exactly. It's an ancient text. That's right. That's and, right. And, and you don't have the originals. Yeah. In fact, they, they talk about that too. Yeah. You know? About the burning of the originals. Exactly. Yeah. With the, uh, that's right. <laughs> um, the one man who collected all the originals made the text, the composite text, and then burned all the evidence. So nobody could go back. They have a single text. It's like, so say it. Live by your principles. <laughs> that's right. Die by your principles that's right. now. And, and, uh, and he wouldn't do it. Wow. As far as I can tell, he would not do it. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's a great one. That's just <laughs> stunning because it's the bully religion is what he's afraid of. It's nothing yeah. else, you yeah. know, but... What? But but in the water, like when I talk to students, it is out there because people will say, okay, hey, you're a Christian. You believe in the Bible. Why do you believe in the Bible? Don't you know, you know, it's a telephone game. Don't you know it's a corrupted yeah. text? Don't you know so on and so forth? And the idea is, is if, if you undermine the foundation of the faith, you really have nothing to hold on to. Yeah, you want to be it, a Christian, you want to be a Go ahead. Yeah, people don't seem to understand the oral, the oral tradition or the scribal fidelity that these guys had, you know, that... If you got one letter on the whole page wrong, you started all over, you know? Right. You, so, what you actually have. Are, are, for the most part, except maybe the ending of Mark, uh, m- almost all benign as well, far as the variants. Well, and the some, so, I mean, some are actually commentary, they're of value. You know, that text, that, that apparatus and the variants are actually, some of them are, are attempts by people. That's better than Rufus right there. <laughs> the, uh, the trays are going and by. The yeah. Cat, yeah. But, but, you know, that, that this is, some of it is commentary on what people, as they're studying the text, might have thought in terms of, you know, what the text is saying, how it applies, and things like right. that. And it's just kind of ended up being part of the, the text. Right. But... Uh, yeah, so the key there is you go back and you have to, you have to start deciphering what the, what the actual errors are. Like, for example, you mentioned the longer ending of Mark right. as being a, uh, a difficulty, which indeed it is. Um, well, it's not an error. No, no, but... It's kind of obvious what it is. But it, yeah. is, it is a problem. But, it, but in his, his manner of talking about it, he identifies it as an error. Yeah. You have two texts, one has it, one doesn't, so that's an error. In yeah. it, seminary, I took the Gospel of Mark, a 10-week quarter. We spent eight weeks on the ending. <laughs> well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, it's double brackets, right? Yeah. <laughs> same goes for the woman caught in adultery. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Same, same idea. But, you know, there, that's a little bit different, though. John. Because, because there it floats. But it's always in all manuscripts of John that we have. It's just not located in the same, in the spot. same spot. Right. It's a floater. Right. Whereas with Mark, you you don't you have Mar- versions of Mark that don't have these endings on them. That's right. And if you read them carefully, I mean, it's kind of obvious that people are sort of borrowing from the others and and just bringing Mark to some kind of a better ending than they ran away bewildered and afraid and didn't tell <laughs> right, anybody. Right. 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 <laughs> Right. So you have uh, all manner of other errors then to sort out uh, scribal errors. But to call that error, you know, just put it in the general category of error, that, that's, that's biased already. Absolutely. And that's the, the same point. thing with contradictions, too. You know, just yep. that the word and the way he defines contradiction is not really what you, it's more like what the Starburst defines as contradiction mm-hmm. than what a logical, you know, theorist would, do, would say right. is a contradiction. Yeah, the way he runs it is he says, um, you know, if God gives you a text and he wants you to know the text, then God would preserve the text in such a manner that you would have it word for word, syllable for syllable, from the time it's written until the time you have it in your hands. Yeah, see, this is, this is Richard Dawkins. A universe without a God would be an entirely different kind of universe. Yeah. So if God, if God really wanted, he would have. That's a total irrelevancy. I mean, all we can look at is what is, not yeah. what we think, you know, a respectable deity would do with the respectable scriptures. Right. Well, then again, if <laughs> yeah. you, it doesn't rise to his level of proof. If, yeah. if you had this, this perfect transmission that he's talking about, he'd probably scream that there's collusion going on. And right. Who can it, trust something yeah. like that? No, no right. book is perfect. Yeah. No, and that's yeah. how you have so, to take that into account. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. You're just, you yeah, know, the strength it, of the text. You can't yeah. win. 
Well, there's, there's two things here that I think are, you know, sort of interesting. First is, is that agnostics and atheists who have opinions about God really are working in a field in which they are not experts, like Islam for, for Dr. Urban, right? This I is mean, like a guy who hates sports commenting on the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, exactly, know? exactly. Because, I mean, what we get to is not so much what he thinks God would do, but what he would do. Right, if right? he were God. If he were God, right. Which is, in my that mind... That tells you huge amounts, right? Absolutely, that, that's, that's right. Yep. And then the second piece is, and I, I read this somewhere else, you know, is just trying to put into, into life what that would mean, you know, as the person who was writing the thing down is making about to make the error you know how would god prevent the error would he send a lightning bolt would he cause a heart attack to hit the individual right would he cry out you know no it's an r not an s you know i mean how does this this demand work out in real life you know that kind of thing the the guy i was trying to think of is james Tabor. ah um he's he's written a book on on the 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 jesus family tomb the talpia tomb and and He's real big on, into the, the sort of the succession with James and, right. and the whole thing. But, but he talks about privileged text. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about you can't, you know, in order to be an objective historian, archaeologist, you can't approach the scriptures as a, a privileged text. They don't get any sure. special treatment. Sure. Uh, of course, he runs roughshod over the scriptures. <laughs> <That's> but... <laughs> right, right, right. Ah, uh, yeah. How you doing, Craig? Yeah, how's it going Good times. over there? I'm, Craig, I'm, Craig's leaning back. He's I mean, in, he's, my back's stiff. He's, he's taking a little nap here. He's, he says, I got three guys who are just going to talk. I'm, I'm, he's in the post-Panda Express afterglow. I'm, I'm letting, uh, I'm letting he's on a little MSG high right now. I'm letting now. Sam take my spot for now. Oh, I'm, yes. just, I'm just kind of over here. Uh, hey, Sam, what's your background? I mean, uh, did, you, did you do literature in, in college history? No, I or? was a history poli-sci major for a couple of years. And poli-sci. Then, and then... Uh, theology after that mm. so i just like reading good books so that's kind of that's just something that's always been in the background as you've been yeah. doing a lot of reading yeah. what'd you what'd you what'd you study poli sci as well yeah UCLA. oh no no kidding yeah. we got a bunch of poli sci types yeah. here awesome i'm not gonna ask what you studied uh, origami or <laughs> origami major <laughs> Well, let's talk a moment about pork, <laughs> ham, bacon, pepperoni. And of course, this has to do with anything that comes from a pig, a hog, a swine. And I know some of you love pork chops. You love ham and cheese love sandwiches. That I ham grew and up cheese. on all that. I love bacon. I love bacon. God knows what's best for us. The pig will eat anything. A pig eats waste and garbage. This Here is it comes, gross, guys. Check this out. A pig will eat its own dead child. Yeah. Four hours later, it's sent to the slaughter and butchered. In a few days, it's on your plate at home. And as I said, I love bacon. I made changes, not only for my health's sake, I made changes to honor God. And as I said, I love bacon. And as I said, I love bacon. And as I said, I love bacon. Did you edit Inquire that? No more, you feral beast. Squeal like a pig for me. Maybe we should all get on the uh, Rick Warren uh, Daniel plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. I don't know. Did you guys hear weight about loss, that? Yeah. It was some, yeah. uh, it's the new piety. Yeah, so drop a, drop an LB thing. or two. There's, there's, there's a there guy on my uh, Tuesday night cigar Bible study who's, yeah. who's uh, he's, he's big down there. and. Yeah. Uh, He's, he's trimming down. He's, he's well, looking sure pretty it, good. I'm sure it works. Rick, it's just Rick is, and now dec- Jesus loves him. It's a direct correlation to his spirituality. Don't you Absolutely. know that? Jesus can't love me because I'm overweight. Yeah. So, is he down from big kahuna, big kahuna size in his Hawaiian shirts? He's uh, he's still big boy, but he's not as big as he was. Yeah, he's, he's doing well. Oh, here's his well. Rick Warren weight loss program. Yeah, here. see if you can it's find the up. sacred sandwich parody of it. It's really juicy. Juicy. <laughs> 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 How did we go from Bart Ehrman to uh, the Daniel Diet? Great question. It's the God Whispers. That's how. I gotta find something new to play here. Rick Warner's Daniel Plan. No, that's a program. This is from Uprising Ministries. It's simply an indisputable fact that even now a part of its spiritually lurid legacy of the upgraded sinfully ecumenical emerging church, a.k.a. emergent church, is it's fueling the current fad of Protestant evangelicals practicing corrupt contemplative spirituality slash mysticism a la living spiritual teacher and Quaker mystic Richard Foster and his spiritual twin Dallas Willard. 
Uh -oh. These guys have an attitude man. over there, man. They were eating their panda today. <laughs> mm, pandas are delicious. Uh, Purpose-driven. <laughs> now, you have to have the proper kind of why purpose-driven Pope. Purpose-driven Pope. PPP. That's right. The incense Rick Warren can be involved with the men he's working with in his so-called Daniel plan, and virtually no one seems very concerned. Satan's EC. Huh? But what would Bart Ehrman say about this? He'd probably be... Uh, Is that a leading question? He'd, 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 he'd probably I didn't be... get the clue. He'd probably be happy that at least they're including a Muslim and a Jewish doctor in this whole thing. Yes, so that's right. That's right. At least it's spread out. That's yeah. as dumb as, as Ezekiel bread. Yeah, you ever see? You know, you <laughs> yeah. see Ezekiel made according made according to a recipe right. found in the scriptures right. yeah, over lentils. cow poop. I, I always ask, is this baked over dumb? He <laughs> 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 asked the clerk, human or cow? Well, originally it was, it was given, human. It was given twice. And, so. and Ezekiel said, Two uh, no, 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 yeah, he, he not was human. Kind of God and, and God said, okay, d cow. <laughs> like, that's some kind of a concession. <laughs> <laughs> At least it was a pig. Oh, man. So back to the text there. Yeah, we got seven minutes and yeah. 21, 20, 19, <laughs> That's a 18. ghost. <laughs> the hourglass. It is. The point, the point we have uh, with, the t with, the, with the error is allegedly the variance is that these are not deficiencies or weaknesses, but in reality, they're strengths. I mean, this is what we're getting at. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the way you would expect the text to come down without yeah. invoking the miraculous. Precisely. Yeah, precisely. And and as we Lutherans again of all people should should embrace that fact. That's right. That the, the scriptures have non-miraculous origins. Yeah, given through men. And in, uh, in and, human means. And, and I like to say the scriptures have that same character as the two natures of Christ. You know, it's man's word, God's word. Mm -hmm. And what we see, we receive it as man's word, just like you receive the sacrament. You, you know, baptism is water. Yeah. You don't see you don't see all the stuff we confess of baptism happening. That's revealed to you. I Lord's thought, Supper, bread and wine. You don't yeah, see that's right. I it thought the right Bible in. was given to Saint Paul on golden tablets written in uh <laughs> in reformed yeah. uh Egyptian. Egyptian well, we're, yeah. we're, we're, oh. I went to Saint Louis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So did I. <laughs> I'll just remain quiet. That's what, that's what I learned in Isagogics. I don't know what you guys learned. Yeah. On, on, in campus ministry, <laughs> is there a lot of interest in, in biblical history, in the content of the Bible, this and that? Or is, is the Bible pretty much just kind of getting relegated to irrelevance uh, in the mind of your basic college student these days? Yeah, it's really on a case-by-case you know, case basis because some folks will say, sure, you have your scriptures, but they're... They don't hold to them as having any kind of objective standards built into there. So you like the scriptures, but I like the Koran. Mm -hmm. right? I like the Koran. You like the, the Vedas or something like this. And the, the agenda there is, is it, it's giving us some kind of a spiritual uh, benefit or a spiritual high in some manner. So they don't really take it seriously is what, the, what I'm trying to get at. But other folks will ask these kinds of questions because they'll see stuff like Aramin on Colbert. And they'll ask the serious questions about, you know, hey, uh, it comes from two ways. Unbeliever will say... You know, why do you think the scriptures are worth reading? But even the believer, the whole of their lives going to a certain congregation or whatever, who, who were never educated as to how we receive the scriptures, have the same kind of a question. I'm a Christian. I'm 22 years old now. I have no idea what the Bible is or how we received it. And the whole of my life I've been told uh, that, that the content of my faith is hidden in the scriptures, but I don't know anything about the scriptures. Mm -hmm. it, it could be a fairy tale or it could be true. I, have, I don't even have the, the ability to handle the question because of the, the kind of Christian training that I had. So in some cases, like uh, I have a few students this, this past year, the question came up, they got interested in it. And then we started talking in the, in, the, in the context of Christian apologetics. And it really was, I know this is kind of dorky, but you know, at the end of the year, I like to give out books, summer reading. And I don't know if they read or not. You know, I had a plan this year. Look, you're going to give me 10 bucks. And I'm going to give you a book. And if you read the book, I'll give you your money back. And if you don't, I'm keeping your money and having lunch on you. Kind of a deal. And, I'm, all, I'm all for the lunch part. <laughs> and uh, a few of the students wanted um, books that had to do with canon, canon formation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and text criticism. Now, well, What do you give out for that? 
what did I give out? Yeah. I gave out, um, there's a book that's kind of like the old F.F. Bruce stuff that was done mm -hmm. in contemporary language. It's called Can We, Can we Trust the Gospels, I think, hmm. by a guy named Roberts, I believe. Hmm. Um, but there's other books like that. And then there's some books that are um, books that are general Christian apologetics type books that have significant chapters devoted to this kind of material. Yeah. Like I've got one over here, Christianity and its Critics. And it's, uh, in that case, the guy's talking about um, what's internal to things like 1 Corinthians and the preaching of Paul. And when, this, um, when the beginning of the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus began to take place, uh, you date 1 Corinthians, you date the Pauline uh, epistles there to a certain date. But clearly he was preaching these things beforehand because he's writing after the fact of the congregation where he once preached to them. Right. So it pushes the preaching of the gospel back. Sure. Well, the closer we get the original proclamation to the actual death and the resurrection, the tighter the argument, right? Airman holds to this stuff being written hundreds of years after the fact by random fellows where this thing was passed in oral tradition. Um, this guy is making the claim here that this stuff was put down in, in, um, in, a, in a textual form much earlier and much closer to the original event, mm -hmm. which strengthens the case. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, if you look at the Gospels, I mean, they're the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, yeah. Luke, and John. I don't think any, anybody's really maintaining that this is necessarily written by them, but this is the Gospel as, as is received from them. You know, and, yeah, and faithfully even, right? Because that's uh, Richard Balcom has a great book yeah. on that. Jesus and the eyewitnesses. Absolutely. You know, it's all about the eyewitness testimony and the credibility of that, and the kind of the genre of that in the ancient world, and yeah. how that's been. I think he argues overlooked um, as credible, but in fact, he argues it is quite vera uh, voracious. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know, Andy Deloach was telling me about this. Uh, excellent book. Didn't didn't isn't he the guy that that basically kind of looks at all these names that are yeah? Dropped? That's Bachum's argument. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and, and it's, just, you know, it's, it's the driest, it, most difficult chapter in the world to read because <laughs> it's all about this one's named Mary, this one's named this. And Everybody's kind of named it. Mary. Every, yeah, every, yeah. every other woman in right, the Bible's right, named Mary. Right, right. But, but, uh, but, but the idea being that these, these things were, um, these names are dropped because these people are around. Absolutely. They, they, yeah. can, they can attest to the fact that this actually happened. That's right. Cleopas, the road to, road to Emmaus. The uncle. You, you can, yeah, you can, you can go and talk to him. He's still around. That's right. Yep. Yeah, you he's highly healing it out, and his wife was over there at the tomb, right? Yeah, and, and the other guy's not, not relevant, not because nobody knew his name, but because the, he's just, you know, who knows? He's who dead, knows? he's not yeah, around. Right, but, yeah. but, uh, it's, so, and that's the way eyewitness testimony would go. Right. Right. Ask so and so. He was there. That's right. That's yeah. right. Paul says the same thing in Corinthians. Yeah. Go. Go ask him. One minute. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's yeah, over, right. over five hundred people. You know. The, ir the irony here for me is, is when I was in seminary, whatever it was, ten so years ago, this was the driest, most boring subject. You know. Yeah. I could barely read it. Yeah. Fall asleep two words in. Little did you realize. And now it's like there's a ferment about it because yeah. people are talking, people are asking questions, people are arguing about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You go online and you look up the debates that are taking place. It's this kind of stuff. When Muslims and Christians debate, the Muslim says, how can you trust your text? When the Mormon shows up and says, you know, they debate, how can you? That's the basis of Mormonism, right? You yeah. have a corrupted text. Sure. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, this I think, is it. you know, before you come with criticism of the text, you better read it. Absolutely. Because, I mean, everybody that comes with all these, these contradictions, these questions, right. got to read it. Yep. yep. We're out of time, and uh, that, we're going to say goodbye to Las Vegas here. <laughs> Hasta la vista, Las Vegas. Vegas. Hopefully that stays yeah, in Las Vegas. Vegas. <laughs> this is a great song. See you next time. Thanks, guys. Las Vegas. <laughs> gotta end on that. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Actually, Jesus I, last night at the Juliana's, I almost asked for Jesus, Jesus is a friend, Jesus is a friend of mine. <laughs> he taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn Would what you believe and laugh at me. You know, it's I've been, been on Glee. It's been on uh, Community. You know, it was on Community also. And I, I take I take some responsibility for the resurgence in its popularity. It's all about you. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? Narnia? He 